He says you are. Right? We've had church this morning. Come on, somebody. Okay, some, some of you. We'll get there. We'll get warmed up. Hey, before we dive into the message this morning, I have a quick update. Uh, a few months ago, we announced that uh, we would be going, we're, there's a team going to Israel, a tour that would be going to Israel. Uh, as a part of our uh, Pacific Southwest District, there's a number of churches that are participating in this, and uh, we had done some promotion for that. Uh, there's a few of you who had signed up, um, just found out a week and a half ago that the trip had completely filled up completely filled up, sold out, which this is a first. Usually these trips at the end, they're kind of trying to get the the minimum number of people that need to go, and they maxed out. Um, But I was told that they were going to work on freeing up some more tickets, booking some more room so we could get a few more people to go, because I know there, there may be a couple of you who are thinking about going and, and maybe didn't sign up in time. Well, I got an, a, an email late last night saying that eight spots have opened up for Israel, eight. Now, here's the thing. They're going to go quickly. And so if you are interested in going with us to Israel, it's September. I believe it's September 2nd or 3rd. Through the, it's the 2nd through the 13th. Uh, so about a 12-day trip to Israel. Uh, the cost is right around $3,800, which for the length of trip and for the kind of trip we're doing is, uh, is really, I know it's a lot of money, but it's actually affordable considering uh, what that is. I believe we have eight people who are currently going from the trip, uh, from the church on that trip. But uh, we have the, the, inf- the, the information. If you are interested in going, if you'd like to sign up, I would suggest that you do that today, because I think there's like three other churches that are making the same announcement right now. And uh, so register now to ittworld.com, and the trip code is PSW19. If you've never gone and, and you're interested in going, I highly, highly suggest it. It's an amazing opportunity. We will be going again at some point as a church, so it's not like Israel's not going anywhere, right? But... There's an opportunity for us to, to be a part of this. So I thought I would throw that out there this morning. Um, so take a picture of that if you need to or write that down. Or if you want to talk to me after, if you have any questions, let me know afterwards and I'd be happy to answer those for you. All right, here we go. We're diving into the Word this morning. I want you to open your Bibles to Psalm 23 and Ephesians 3. So the 23rd Psalm and Ephesians 3. The title of my message this morning is Overflow, Overflow. God has called us to lives that overflow, that are abundant, that thrive. This is what God has called us to. This is what he wants for us. Paul writes in Romans chapter 15, verse 13, he says, May the God of hope, say God of hope. God of hope, fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that good? Okay. Um, (laughs) I'm just going to guess that you're processing and you're meditating on it. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. Who wants more joy in their lives? All right. Who wants more peace in their lives? Okay, good. We're, we're coming alive. This is good. As you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope. 
I tell you what, you don't have to look far to realize we live in a world that doesn't have a lot of hope. We are surrounded by people who feel hopeless. Maybe even you this morning are sitting here going, yeah, Pastor Barry, that's me. I'm not feeling a lot of joy, I'm not feeling a lot of peace, and I'm not feeling a lot of hope in my life right now. Maybe you're like, that's why I'm at church this morning, because I need a little bit of that. I'm glad you're here. It's good that you're here in the house of the Lord to hear this, that God wants to fill your life with joy and peace so that you would overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, we live as believers, we live spirit-led lives. That we're supposed to walk in step with the power and the direction of the Holy Spirit every day of our Christian walk. And it's not this, it's not this kind of confusing, ethereal, out there, um, nebulous concept that the Holy Spirit is very practically and very presently wanting to speak and pour into our lives every moment of every day. But how many of you know that sometimes life can get in the way, right? Stuff can get in, jobs can get in the way. Relationships and things and stuff and money can get in the way. So I've got a question to ask you this morning. How are you doing? How are you doing? We say that all the time, don't we? Hey, how are you doing? And, and it's that moment where you go, do I answer honestly? Right? Or do I put on the fake self? Good. Blessed, brother. Right? If we put some Christianese on it. Walking in the goodness of God. Now listen, if you are, that's great. But if you're not, if you're not feeling that, that's not okay. Not because it's a, you're lying but because there's something about that that undermines the joy and the hope that the Holy Spirit wants to pour into us to begin with. So the question is, how are you doing? I love that in, a, in our culture and even around the world, the, the kind of the pat answer to that is fine. Fine is neither great and thriving or at the, I'm just fine, Right? It's kind of read between the lines is, don't ask me any more questions. Don't press in a little bit deeper. But the problem is that when we don't answer that question, we also don't answer the next question, which is this, how am I doing? To slow down enough to ask ourselves, how am I doing? I think part of the reason we don't ask ourselves that question is, We kind of know the answer already, and we don't want to really go there. Because I'm already feeling kind of empty. I feel kind of hopeless. I feel like I don't have a lot of joy, so I can't really go there. So I've just got to keep moving, right? Just got to keep moving. Just get through this day so I can just get to the next day, to, to the next day. You know, there are people who live their lives just looking forward to the next vacation. I'm just working and getting by so I can get to that seven days or five days that I get to go and just put my feet up and, and do nothing for a few days, and then I'll come back to the grind and do it all over again. There are people who are working just simply to get to retirement, just trying to survive. But this is not what God has for us. It's not his design 
for us. So when you ask that question, how am I doing, you need to be able to gauge that response or, or put some, some definition to it to understand what's going on inside of you. It's been a little while since I used a good car illustration, so here we go this morning. One of my cars uh, a couple of weeks ago, the dashboard lit up like an orange Christmas tree. It was like, you know, you know when the check engine light comes on, right? And you're like, okay, that's not good. But when it's the check engine light, and in my case it was the ABS light, the traction control light, uh, the, the, the brake light, uh, and the transmission fail-safe light, all came on at the same day, right? And you're going, this is not good. So I pulled up the, the, the user manual, and I looked up, and it said, these are just warnings. The car is still drivable. The transmission went into this fail-safe mode where it was shifting really hard. It was kind of clanging in and out of gear. It wasn't very comfortable, um, but, but the, the manual told me it's okay to keep driving. And I was like, okay, that's, that's good to know. But I knew that something was not right. And there was these lights that just reminded me constantly, something's not right, you better do something about it. You see, the car at that point was still drivable, but if I didn't take care of it, at some point, those warning lights would lead to disaster. Either, either to the car just completely dying and not starting, or it dying in a place like if I'm driving down the 210 freeway and the transmission gives out, who, who knows, that's not a good thing. Now I'm putting lives at risk, my own and those of the people around me. And so we have to pay attention. We get this in our cars. If the lights come on, maybe you don't get this, so there, here's a little PSA for you this morning. If the lights come on, they're on for a reason, get it checked out. So if you take your car to a mechanic... They're going to plug it into a computer that's going to read those codes because all of those lights come on and they kick out these codes and they would read those codes and then systematically go through and troubleshoot and say, what is, what's the issue? Why is this warning light on? And then they would give you a really large estimate <laughs> of what it would take to fix it, right? All throughout the car and through the motor and the transmission, there's these sensors that are built in that detect when things are not functioning. They detect temperature. They detect how much fluid is flowing in a particular system. They detect electronics and all of these. And when something goes wrong, those sensors send, send an alert to the computer that says to the dash, hey, put that light on. We need help. Probably the one we're most aware of is the fuel gauge, right? That's the one where you recognize when that little orange light comes on, you got to start looking for a gas station because eventually... You're just going to run out of gas. You go through a process of diagnosing so you can determine what needs to happen next. Well, just like my car, God has given us an ability to detect when things aren't well, when things aren't going right. And I know this in my life and in the lives of so many people I've had the privilege of pastoring and in our culture as a whole, we tend to ignore the warning signs and think, I'm okay, until we hit a wall, until we crash. But I tell you, God's design for us and his desire for us is not that we hit walls, 
that we crash. It's that we start learning what the gauges are and then paying attention to the warning signs and tending to those things in a timely manner so that we can be filled with joy and peace and overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what God has for us. So let's take a look at the 23rd Psalm. We're going to have it up on the screen. And what I'd like to do is I want us to read this out loud together. So if you would read off the screen, that would help just so we're all reading the same thing. Would you read it together and let's read it loud. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We say amen to that. The 23rd Psalm is so familiar. It's familiar to people who both are believers and attend church, followers of Jesus, and even to those who aren't. It's one of those portions of Scripture that we hear read in in other contexts outside of the church. So much so that I think it can, can become somewhat white noise for us. Almost like this, oh, that's just the 23rd Psalm. But it's not. Just like John 3.16 is not just John 3.16. Just because it's familiar doesn't mean that it's not important. I would say to the contrary that this is probably one of the most important psalms for us to lay a hold of in our lives. I want to unpack a little bit of what this psalm is because there's something that's happening here in the life of David that gives us some clues as to what those gauges are in our own lives. I love King David. I love his example. I love that he, uh, he was called when he was young. I love that uh, there, there were issues in his life. I love that his calling to be king and his anointing, the anointing of him as king and the actual coronation ceremony, that there was a gap there because I can relate to that. Like sometimes God will say, hey, I have something for you, but it doesn't happen right away. Anyone know what that's like? Anyone living in the midst of that, Right? David was about as real as you get in Scripture. And so many of the Psalms were, that were written by David were just not, were not like f- flowery, like sweet, syrupy, just everything is awesome, right? I watched the Lego movie this week, so, right? In fact, the, the second one, everything's not, um, I don't want to, no spoiler alerts. Everything is awesome, right? This is not David. You read the Psalms. There's there's a section of Psalms. They're called the bloody Psalms. Because David's going, deaf, everything is not awesome. This really stinks and life is really hard. God, where are you? But it's always tempered with him turning and, and then praising the Lord. There's this realness about the life of David that I think is so important for us to understand. So he writes... The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. 
Do you think that it was because he lacked nothing that he had everything he wanted? I'll answer it for you, no. Because there were seasons in David's life where he lacked. Come on, he lived in caves. He feared for his life. Comes back to Ziklag and discovers that his family has been taken captive and hauled off and the city has been burned. David knew what lack was. So is, he, so is he confused? Is he delusional when he says, I lack nothing? No, not at all. What he's doing is contrasting what he is walking through in reality with the greater reality that God brings into his life. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. As long as I'm connected to him, I will lack for nothing in my life, even when it looks like I'm lacking. We just saying, doesn't matter what I feel, doesn't matter what I see. Now, your feelings are important. That song's not saying that your emotions and your feelings don't count. But what it's saying is there's something bigger than what you feel and what you see. He says that, God, that, 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 that the Lord makes him to lie down in green pastures. You know why he makes him lie down? Venture a guess? He doesn't know how to do it himself. I don't know how to rest. I'll be honest. I do not know how to rest and slow down and stop. I don't know how to be still. It takes work. But the promise of God to us is that he will make us lie down because he knows what's best for us. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Says he leads me beside quiet waters. It's true of sheep is that they're really skittish and so troubled or, or fast moving waters, they don't feel comfortable to get close enough to drink. And so they have to find pools of still water where they can drink. God's care for us is like that of the shepherd for the sheep, where he says, I, I know what you need and I'll get you to the place where you can get refreshed the way that you need to be refreshed. God knows what you need. He says, he refreshes me. He refreshes my soul. Why? Because I need refreshing and I become depleted and worn out and tired. Goes on and says, God, you guide me. Why? Because I want to lead myself, but it doesn't go well when I do. Can I get an amen? I think I know what works best for me, and then I discover... I don't know nothing, right? There is a way that seems right to man, and in the end, it leads to death. Well, that's a happy verse. No, that's a real verse. That's a real verse. Because when I put my trust in myself, I'm going to lead myself astray, but God will guide me in paths of righteousness. He says that he is with me. God is with me. Why? Because there are days where I don't feel like God is with me. And I need to remember that he never leaves me nor forsakes me. He says that when I, God, when I'm with you, when, you're, when I know that your presence is with me, and I go through this valley, there is no fear. Even in the hardships, there's no fear. Why, God, you are with me. Because we face difficult things in our lives but if we would stop and read the gauge that says right it's going uh, 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 danger 
<laughs> Will Robinson. <laughs> I was thinking it. Someone said it. And the gauge is going off, and we go into freak-out mode that we stop and go, wait, he's with me. He's not going to forsake me. He's not going to leave me. He comforts me with his rod and his staff. How? Why? Why the rod? Why the staff? Well, two reasons. First of all, the shepherd's staff served as a, a, an instrument of protection from outside attack. So when the lion and the bear and all of these animals, along with, of course, with David, we know he had a sling, but it was the, it was the first line of defense. And that he would use that staff to ward off and, and scare off any animals that wouldn't want to come and attack the sheep. But it was also an instrument of correction. So we need protection from outside things, but you know what you also need protection from? Yourself. Correction is protection from yourself. When I correct my kids, I'm not doing it because it's fun. I'm doing it because they need to know that there's a safe way, an appropriate way for them to live. So correction is a protection for self. God says, I will protect you. My rod and my staff will bring comfort because when, that, when God's hand is at work in our lives, we don't have to fear. He says, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. couple of things here. You fight my battles. God fights your battles. Your enemies are not his enemies. What he says is, your enemies, the giants in your life, hey, I can set a five-course meal right in front of them and there's nothing they can do about it. God will fight your battles. He's my protector. No one else can do that. Only he can do that. And not only that, he's going to come through in unlikely ways. God, why would you set a table for me in the presence of my enemies? That doesn't seem normal. What God is saying is, I don't move the way you move. And so I will do unlikely things and unusual things to show you that I'm God and that you're not. But I believe there's also a picture of reconciliation that God wants to bring as well where we will go to battle, we will pull out our weapons of warfare. God says, no, let's prepare a table, a banquet table, and then give an opportunity for reconciliation. It says that he anoints my head with oil. A couple of things here. The anointing is indicative that you've been set apart. David was anointed as king. This, this had very real meaning to him. And Samuel had come and gone through all of Jesse's sons. And God says to Samuel, I don't look at the outward, I look at the heart. And Samuel has to say, Jesse, do you have any other sons? Anyone else? <laughs> right? It's ridiculous. Did you forget about any of your kids? <laughs> oh yeah, there's Davy. <laughs> David's out in the field, let's bring him in. And God says, this is the one I've chosen. And so Samuel anoints his head with oil and says, you are chosen, you are set apart. Right? And his brothers are like, he's just a kid. God says, no, no, no. He's my anointed one. God says he anoints your head with oil. He has chosen you and he has set you apart. The other thing that anointing does is it lifts your countenance. When we read in scripture when someone had been in a season of mourning, 
they would take off the sackcloth and the ashes and that they would take food and that they would be anointed with oil and it would give them this glow, right? That would show to people, hey, I'm in a good place. God anoints. And then after all of this, after all of these things, after all of these wrestlings in the heart of David and these reminders about who God is in his life, he says this, my cup overflows. My cup overflows. So let me ask you again this morning, how are you doing? How are you doing? As I read through these, as we, as we kind of highlight the contrast between these, how is your heart? How is your soul? See, God's desire is that we be overflowing and thriving. And know this, that overflowing is not the absence of trouble and hardships and struggles. It's knowing and going back to the source of my life. That there is a place that I can run to no matter what's going on and find out who I am and be reminded of who God is. See, we need to learn to read our gauges, to understand what's going on in our lives so that we can respond appropriately. I want to sketch some things for you this morning. We're going to go old school. We're going to get a dry erase board out here today. We're, we're having school in school at church <laughs> today. See, my question would be, on, in follow-up to what, how are you doing, I would ask this question. What fills you and what depletes or drains you? Because every one of us gets filled and drained in different ways. So if you imagine your life being a, a vessel, a container that's open at the top, and then let's say down here there's a, there's a spout. And that daily there's things that are coming into your life that are going to fill you up. And so maybe your level's down here and, and it'll start coming up. But, but throughout your day there's stuff that's happening that's causing you to be depleted. So, so practically, this is, hey, my, my time, of course, we have to, with spiritual disciplines, I'm going to be in the Word, I'm going to worship, I'm going to pray, and all of these things, being in the presence of God, and I'm going to fast, and that's, that's all stuff that's going to replenish us and, and bring up that level of our lives. But there's things that deplete us, that wear, wear on us, that cost us. There's stress. There's strife. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's your neighbor. Right? Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's just simply, hey, I've got to go to work every day, and I'm tired, and it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's going to cost you. At the end of the day, you're tired. For me, as a pastor, one of the things that fills me is ministry. And one of the things that depletes me is ministry. <laughs> right? You, you see where I'm going with that. And these don't have to be horrible negative things. I put gas in my car, and as I drive my car, that gas is used up, and it's turned into 
energy, right, through the process and the internal combustion engine, but at a certain point it runs out. Right, this is the big dilemma of our time. How can we come up with an infinitely renewable energy, en- energy source? We're not there yet, right? So I still got to pull up to that pump. For some, it's plug it into an electrical outlet. But even with an electric car, you still have to put something in because in order to move forward, there's stuff that's going to be going out. But here's the problem, is if we don't have the gauge, you see on my, on my dash... Right There's a gauge that looks like this, and there's a little needle that points to where my gas level is. Our lives should have these markers, these sensors, these sensitivities we have to understand where we're at. Now, it's not going to be as accurate as a gas gauge, but you know when you're doing good, and you know when you're not doing good. Am I right? One of the codes that came up on my car was talked about, showed that when my gas tank got really close to empty, and it, it, there's a sediment that had settled on the bottom. And when the gas got low enough, that sediment got stirred up, and one of the sensors in the, in the fuel pump picked up that there was a blockage. Now, when the tank was full, that, that, that sediment didn't make a difference. But when it started getting empty, all of a sudden, it got stirred up and became a problem. So we talk about what fills and what drains. Ignatius of Loyola said this, what are your consolations, let me spell this correctly, and desolations? I think one of the things that we struggle with as charismatics is that we just want to declare the goodness of God. God is, and He is. But we default so much to rah, rah, rah. And what we don't tend to do is sit in our desolations, in the things that have drained us, those places where we feel depleted and say, God, I'm struggling. I'm having a hard time. We need to be able to identify, like I said, I pray, I worship, I read the word. But you know, there's other things. There's things that fill me. Um, Time with my family. And it's not just time with the weather being cold as it's it's been. We've got a fireplace and we've gotten firewood. And so Megan and I have been playing cribbage in front of the fireplace. And it's just fun. It fills us. We've recognized that just sitting and watching TV at night doesn't. Maybe a little bit, but it's not face-to-face time. And so we've recognized, hey, we need to do some time with family. Maybe for you it's hiking, being outdoors, reading. And you can continue to fill that in. To be able to stop during my day and even my week and say, hey, how, how am I doing this week? Is what's coming in more than what's going out? Because we understand this, if, if there's more desolation, if there's more draining, if there's more going out and not enough coming in, what's going to happen here? It's going to reach a point where I've got nothing left to give. I've got nothing left to give. 
Here's, here's one of the things I believe, this is just a broad observation and based largely on my own life, but I see this in the church in America, is that we tend to hover spiritually and emotionally in our souls right down at the bottom. And so we keep reaching these crisis moments or these points where we're like, oh, okay, I better, I better do something to get filled up a little bit. But we live at this constant state of tired. Right? When people say, I'm just tired all the time, what they're expressing is not so much a physical tiredness, it's an emotional tiredness. My soul is tired. There's a da- light on the dashboard of their life that is saying, you're not okay and you need to do something about it. So what do we do? We drink a Red Bull. Right? No. Yeah, it might mask it a little bit, but it doesn't actually refresh and replenish. It depletes. Now, let's go back to what God says in the 23rd Psalm. He says, your cup overflows. And here's the beautiful thing about what God wants to do. This is a limited outpouring. I can only give so much. The bottom's not open because then whatever goes in would just come out. And so we have to be able to regulate how much we're giving, I'll I'll tell you this, like for me, I know I can only have a certain amount of counseling appointments in a week. I love counseling, but it costs me. And so I know that if I just fill my week back to back and I'm just sitting with people constantly through the week, by the time I get to the end of the week or by the time I go home at night, I've got nothing else left to give. And so I have to regulate that in my life. And so we not only need to be aware of what's going out, but we need to start making sure that what comes in is more than what's going out. So that at the end of it, this level isn't hovering down here, but it starts overflowing. And I want you to notice something, is that when my cup overflows, my ability to have an impact for the kingdom of God increases. Because now it's not just this, But now it's the full 360 of my life where this overflowing is happening. And it's not even that I'm having to work as hard at it. It's just happening. As the Spirit of God is doing something inside of my life as He pours in to who I am. Ephesians 3, 16 through 19, Paul writes this, I pray that out of His glorious riches... I love that. Glorious riches. God is not lacking. God's not up in heaven looking down on earth from a distance going, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do about that. I don't know how. That's a tough one. That issue in your, I'm not quite sure what we're going to do there. Wish I, right? He doesn't pull together a council and say, hey, can we, let's present some ideas and some strategies where we can, no. He has glorious riches. He's got everything he needs in abundance. And he says, out of that glorious richness, that he may strengthen you with power in your, through his spirit in your inner being. What is that strengthening? It's this going up. It's that capacity being filled inside of your life. Why? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. As this vessel expands, 
God's ability to fill it is constant. Because His love is so high and so wide and so deep and so broad that as we grow and as we are conformed to His image, He will just pour more and more and more and more into our lives. He goes on to say, and to know, to know, say no. No. Caught you off guard. Say no. no. To know the love that surpasses knowledge. This is, a, this is a huge key for us. I was talking to someone this week who gave me the whole, I don't trust emotions. I'm, it's not about emotions, feelings. Christianity is not about feelings. It's all about what you know. <laughs> Paul disagrees. Because my knowledge is limited. It is a part of who I am. I have intellect. I have emotion. I have a physical body. Can't spell though. See, still. I have a physical body. I have relationships. Right? I have all of these things and more. And that I am the sum total of all of these things. In psychology, it's called being a, an intact or a whole person. I'm all of these things. So if I, as a believer, now come and say, hey, emotion has no place in that. I have now ruled out a whole set of gauges in my life that help me understand how I'm doing. Can I just tell you that's not healthy? It's not It's, in fact... It's dangerous. I heard I was in a a training session this week, and the facilitator made this comment. There's a lot of pastors who are good at ministry, but not good at being a Christian. There are a lot of pastors who are good at ministry, but they're not good at being Christians. Why? Because if we start neglecting aspects of this, man, we can put on a good show. We could even convince ourselves to a certain degree. But at the end of it, when the tank runs out, the tank runs out and there's nothing you can do about it. But God's not called us to live depleted, empty, barely making it kind of lives. Everything about his word says, hey, I want you to flourish. I want you to to, to live in abundance. I want you to overflow. I want you to thrive. This is what God has called us to so this love that surpasses knowledge, I can't just put my, put my mental faculties into, into place and say, well, how do I evaluate this? To simply say, how am I feeling? One of the things that my wife and I love to do, that Pastor Megan and I love to do, is just say, hey, how are you doing? One of the tools that we were introduced is, is simply this. What makes you mad? What today made you mad, glad, sad, or anxious. I'll write those down. Today, what made you mad? What made you glad? What made you sad? And what made you anxious? Just a tool that we use to go, hey, here's, here's what happened in my day. This is how that made me feel. It's filling out this list of consolations and desolations 
Not so that we can moan over these things or weep over them. Because here's the last point. God wants us to be filled to the full measure. So what happens is, when I start functioning at a low capacity, and someone ticks me off, I know you're like, really, that happened? Yes, (laughs) it happens. What I want to do is I want to react in my flesh. I want to defend myself. I want to, right, I even physically... Right? Intellectually, I know I'm, I'm, I'm mad. Emotionally, oh, I can feel that. My physical body, in my case, it's my face. My, like, sometimes my face needs to learn its inside voice. Um, <laughs> and it all just comes up. And if I'm not doing well, if, if my tank is empty, you know what I'm going to do? Is I'm going to unload on that person. And I'm going to tell them exactly what I think which depletes their tank. Now we're both not doing good. You know the better thing and the, 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 the way to use this, this tool or, or to even daily write down and say, Lord, in, 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 for Ignatius, he wrote about the, the prayer of Eximen. Lord, I'm going to stop and just pray and ask you to reveal where am, I, where am I doing well? Where have I seen your hand at work in my life today? What can I praise you for? And to, to list those things out, but then to say, but God, what, what are the desolations? Where are the places where I felt further away from you and not closer to your presence today? And to write them out. And then you, the reason you write those out is then you stop and you pray over those things. You go back to the 23rd Psalm and say, okay, God, I'm feeling this way. I'm feeling like that person is my enemy, but you set a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Right? God, I feel like this battle that I'm fighting, I don't know how I'm going to get through, but you guide me through the shadow of the valley of death. And you comfort me. And you start praying over these things that drain. And you know what ends up happening? It just flips right around and starts filling you right back up. There's a practical part of our walk with the Lord, which I think we often neglect. I want to encourage you. Take time. Take time today. Find a place in your journal, on your phone, and just ask yourself, what are my constellations? What are the desolations? Or use the mad, glad, sad, anxious. What is it today? What is it this week that's made me mad? Well, Pastor Barry, I just... You know, the joy of the Lord is my strength. No, God's okay if you say to him, God, this really ticked me off. David did it. That's why we have the Psalms written the way they were. Oh, God, why, where are you? My enemies are at my heels. They're trying to destroy me. I don't feel your presence. Yet I'm going to choose to worship you because I know that you're in control. I just made up a psalm. Um, don't go looking for that one because it's not in there. You can pray your own psalms. God, this made me really glad. I rejoice with you about this. God, I'm really sad about this. God, I'm anxious. And bring that to him in prayer and watch as he turns those things around and starts filling you so that you can overflow in your life. Amen?
Let's stand together as we close. Would you take 20 seconds? Let's just do 20 seconds. We're going to have just silence before the Lord. Um, just 20 seconds before the Lord, and maybe already stirring in your heart is a list. As I've been talking, there's been things that you're going, okay, yeah, I feel that. Let's just bring that to, let's take the opportunity to go before the Lord and present those things to him before we close. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your love for us is so much greater than we can ever begin to comprehend. That you see us, that you know us, that you walk with us, that you protect us, that you provide. God, that you are our all in all. You are everything to us. God, I pray that we would be a people who stop daily to take stock, to evaluate, to simply say, God, how am I doing? God, where is it that you want to minister healing? Where is it you want to minister wholeness? Where is it that you want to turn those desolations into consolations? Where you want to take what's draining me and turn it around for your glory to fill my life. God, I pray that we would know, that we would know how wide and deep and high and broad is the love of God for us. I pray today that you would continue to visit us and speak to us, that we would press into your presence. Say, God, how am I doing? That we would meet you in those places and be refreshed. In Jesus' name, amen. Our prayer team is available.